Totally Football Show. It's been an incredible midweek action. From Dries Mertens to Man United Hurton Burton, we round up all the news that matters and prepare for another big weekend featuring such delights as Crystal Palace visiting Man City and another Leicester Liverpool. There's news, the Mark Sampson affair. Oh, so that's why. And not-so-gay Paris, who's the man at Saint-Germain and Instagram in football's bitterest crosstown rivalry, all coming up in the Totally Football Show. Yes, indeed. Today in the studio we have Michael Cox. Hello, James. Uh, James Horncastle's here. Hello, by the way, Michael. Uh, James Horncastle's <laughs> here as well. Hi, James. And we're joined by comedy's Josh Widdicombe. I'm so sorry to call you comedy's Josh No, Whittaker. it's fine. I, I'm excited. This is, uh, you know. Do you, do you know what? I haven't been as nervous about something I've done in months. This, really? It's a big moment. It's a very it's big, a big moment, it's a James. Big moment. Yeah. Um, we've met before, though, Josh, haven't we? We have, back in my old days. As yeah, a, when um, you were a sports journalist. I, yeah, the, you're putting a very nice sheen on the job of uploading things to websites. Yeah, there you go. That's what, <laughs> uh, you load them up, I, I load them down. It's, we're just two sides of the same Exactly, point. and now yeah. neither of us are welcome in that building anymore. Well... <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, Josh, you do a podcast. It's called Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? Yes, it's a 90s football podcast, so oh. we're not treading on your toes. Don't worry about no, it. No, that's fine. Um, it is, um, so we d- we've just started the second series. It's basically, each week we interview someone who's big in, a big person in 90s football. So we've had, we had Frank Skinner last week. We've, had, we've got Darren Anderson next week. I understand you've asked for me to be a guest on your pod as a kind of quid pro quo arrangement. There are certain people who we dream of as guests. Whether we could haggle at all. Could could it be two appearances from James, for example? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I don't don't think... I don't don't think that I'm ready for that kind of haggle. Two appearances. I know. I just feel really awkward now. Would you be willing to talk about... um, Football Italia and the man who presented it? No, you, the man you, behind the mask? James and Michael, it's fair to say, no, can remember way more about what happened in the 90s than, than I can. They do say if you can remember Football Italia, you weren't there, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, tell you what, speaking of Italian football, it's hard not to start this week with that goal from Dries Mertens. Oof. Have you seen it, Josh? No, I have not. Michael, you've seen it. Yeah, it was good. Because you see a lot of great goals every yeah, yeah, week yeah. across the continent. But every now and then... There's a goal scored that you've not seen anything like it, I think, ever. Wow. So what happened? For uh, 32 years, because apparently it was a carbon copy of one that Maradona scored oh, really? against the same opponent, Lazio. No way. Yeah. Uh, but Mertens, he said, I, I, I've been shown it before he came before the TV cameras to discuss the goal, and uh, Maradona's was better. And it was better because, for example, I think, what was still special about this goal is Mertens is through one-on-one. The keeper actually does really well. Mm. He comes out and he pushes it away kind of towards the right-hand side, um, towards the corner flag. And, and Mertens, Mertens kept running. doesn't skip a beat. Well, no, he, he actually runs past it, a couple of metres past it, turns around and sees that the ball has basically come to a halt and that the keeper is now backtracking towards his own goal. Mm. So he runs back and kind of over his shoulder, does an over-the-shoulder chip. Yeah. About, what, 20 yards into the goal? Yeah, and it just kind of rainbows. It's a wonderful arc oh, wow. into, into, into the goal. So he's bombing down towards the touchline, hits the brakes, mm. runs back, and without even turning round, just hits it back over his shoulder. I know exactly what I'm typing into YouTube the moment yeah. this podcast ends. <laughs> Merton's sex. 
Yeah. Um, he's, he's on such a roll at the moment, isn't he? Lo- loads of people asking you know, whether he's the best Belgian in football at the moment, which is, you know, it's a crowded, crowded field. Yeah. Well, that was um, one of the questions he was asked last night. They were saying, come on, you must be leading the line for Belgium at the World Cup. But he was like, well, is Lukaku there? You know, I've got to play with Eden Hazard as mm. well. But He wasn't even at, a centre-forward till a year ago. No, exactly. And you look at his numbers um, in 2013, I think it's 24 goals in 23 games. Um, well, yeah, he had a hat-trick at the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he ended last season, um, I think, with Kylian Mbappe as the player who, I think, every 70 minutes he combined for a goal or an assist, which was the the most in Europe. Uh, it was a better record than Messi, better record than Neymar. Um, and obviously he played a lot more games, started a lot more league games than Kylian Mbappe. So, mm. um, And that's what Mauricio Sally said last night. It, 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 it was actually a wonderful line. He said, it's, just a, it's a real shame that we've only found this out about Mertens now that he's 30. You know, Because imagine just how many goals he could have scored if he'd been playing centre-forward all his career. Uh, well, we'll talk more about all that later on. Hey, uh, because, of course, also midweek, Carabao Cup. Big news well, there was lots of interest. I suppose that, yeah, there were some interesting points who weren't there in this, what was it, third round of the Erstwhile uh, League Cup. Liverpool conceding from set pieces again. <laughs> lots of hugely surprising upset wins against big sides that putting out teams, in some cases, so weak that Jack Wilshire played in one of them. Played 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Yeah. 90 minutes. And even then, uh, Arsenal only scraping by Doncaster by a single goal. Man United did care. Mourinho putting out this sterling defence of the competition. If you ask me, could the English football survival even be better without this competition? Maybe, maybe we'll be fresher for a European competition. But we have this competition, we have to respect the sponsors, we have to respect the opponents, and a lot of us are trying to do our best. They uh, sort of smashed Burton, didn't they? Uh, Chelsea has had a big result, 5-1 against Nottingham Forest. Sausage at Hackett Mail says that should League Cup games in England be 15 minutes long with all players tanning a litre of energy drink beforehand? It's not a bad idea. They need to do something to pep it up. I, d- I found myself actually Googling what Carabao was yesterday. I, well, I realised the- that I had no idea what it was, which is a real sign of how far the League Cup has fallen. But um, that's kind of why they do it, Josh. I know, oh. and I'm absolutely buzzing now off four cans. <laughs> but I always prefer it if it, you know, because it's a cup... Yep. And it's been sponsored by Milk, Coca-Cola, Worthington, Carling. It should be something you can drink. Oh, you try getting a cup of Rumbelows. It's very <laughs> difficult, wasn't it? <laughs> Good point, Josh. We'll talk, I'm sure, throughout today's show about some of the exciting performances. Marcus Rashford, ooh, Calvert-Lewin, for example. That Everton team against Sunderland. Did you see the curious stat, Michael? I did not. Sunderland's team against Everton in the League Cup had more Everton appearances in it than Everton side against Sunderland. The David Moyes legacy, that, yeah. isn't it? Which means Sunderland's Everton side is worse, believe it or not, than Cooman's Everton side. Yeah. Right, yeah, I guess which, that's yes, true. Which is the worst Everton side at the moment, because uh, Everton are currently in the relegation zone with a squad that costs the same as Bayern Munich's. Is that right? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, £350 million. Pounds, I think. Right, although, you know, inflation's played a big part in that. Sure. You were to try and put that Bayern Munich side together now for that figure (laughs) anyway uh, well they've done a draw now Uh, among the uh, eight matches Leicester who beat Liverpool 2-0 and will get the chance to do it again this weekend will be taking on Leeds Chelsea are up against Everton Swansea Man United Bristol City uh, put out Stoke to earn a tie with Crystal Palace and Spurs are taking on West Ham as well which just so happens is going on this weekend and Maybe let's turn our attention then to events in the league this weekend after this. 
tweet us at The Totally Show and find us on Facebook and at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Here's a question for you, Josh. Yes. Who are the most nil-nil sides in the Premier League? Which sides get the most goalless draws in the Premier League? I think... Well, you'd want to say West Brom, but mm. it's not going to be West Brom. It's, it's going to be... It's going to be... Is it a trick question? Well, it, it, no. It, is it, there it, is no, an answer. There is an answer. It's yeah. not... Okay, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with West Brom. Interesting, Michael. Do you mean this season? Since January 2015. Oh, okay. oh. Southampton. Stoke. That's one of them. Yeah. Southampton is not Stoke, although oh. I understand your logic there. I'll, I'll end this 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 dilemma for you. Since Tony Pulis took over at West Brom in January 2015, the most nil nilious sides are actually Southampton with 13 goalless draws and Man United with 12. The Baggies, by comparison, have a paltry. 10. This is exciting because Southampton and Man United are facing each other in the league this weekend, Michael. I don't think it's going to be goalless this time, though. We're not judging by Manchester United's current form. They're scoring a lot of goals, um, albeit a lot of them very late in games. I think what we're seeing here is um, Lukaku's had a fantastic start to the season and he was criticised you know, over the summer after United signed him because he scored lots of goals against weaker sides. But that's exactly what United weren't doing last year. They had mm. so many draws at home. And we've seen that Lukaku's a, a fantastic player for those situations. And winning league titles is not just about winning the, the two or three biggest games. It's about making sure you get three points against all the bottom half sides, all the sides at home. And so far, that's what he's done. And I'd mm. expect that run to continue this weekend. There is this amazing stat. We mentioned it on Monday about them scoring more than half their goals after the 80th minute. They have struggled to break sides down. And Southampton, although not in the game against Watford, have looked quite resilient at the back, with Virgil van Dijk potentially coming back in and starting. What's what are, what are the chances of, of Pellegrini stymieing Mourinho? I'd be a little bit surprised. I think United have got so many attacking options, and, and as we've said, they've got so many to come from the bench as well. Um, I think the good thing about Southampton is um, Aurel Romeo sits in front of the defence so well. Mm. He's one of the few players in the Premier League who I think is just a pure defensive midfielder. He makes it his job to ensure that the centre-backs aren't exposed. And you've got a couple of players in there. I mean, Jack Stevens looks promising, but you wouldn't say at this point he's a top-class defender. But he just doesn't get stretched because his, uh, because Romeo's positional sense is so good. Right. Uh, Josh Farley actually saying a very strong call for Saints now with Romeo and Virgil van Dijk back in there. How good is Hoot and especially Lamina? Uh, fantastic game against Palace, although admittedly it was against Palace. Yeah. Um, well, Lazio could do with Hoot at the moment because... Mm. Um, they lost uh, two centre-backs in last night's game against uh, Napoli and they'd lost another Too one on the weekend. Yeah. Too much hurt. Yeah, how many years of hurt <laughs> will they have to go through? I really like Lamina. I think he's, uh, he's a good player. I think he's actually a very smart, intelligent player in midfield who can read the game well uh, and yeah, plays the ball forward good as well. So I think yeah, those are two very good signings. I think it's quite interesting to look at Southampton's recruitment, which again, yeah, they didn't recruit a lot this summer. I think they look to consolidate rather than sell. That's why they that explains the stance behind Van Dijk as well. But what they've looked to do is kind of take away players who are on the fringes of top Serie A clubs like Lazio with Hut, for example, like Juventus with Lamina, like Gabbiadini with Napoli, for example. So, yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah, those two players are, 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 should prove good signings for for the Saints. Interesting. Actually, yeah. producer Ben just pointing out that now in the Saints dressing room there is a Hut locker. <laughs> Nice work. That's true.
course, Man United are looking scarily good up front. And Marcus Rashford just underlining why so many people are so excited about him. And actually, some say we should be even more excited about him. Were he not English, we'd be making even more of a fuss. Tutor sport, that august uh, organ of the Italian sporting press. Yeah, Juventus, uh, including him in their 25-boy list for the golden boy, the, the, the best young player in Europe. He finished second, of course, in this. I'd forgotten that 12 months ago. Oh. Do you know who won it 12 months ago? Can't remember, Jim, bro. Renato Sanchez. <laughs> but anyway, no, I mean, Rashford. I think, he's, I think he's amazing. I think we've got this tendency when you get these young English players that break through that we, we presume that they're having just a kind of run of dumb luck, like a kind of... We, we did it with Harry Kane. We just presume it's kind of another Danny Cadamatory. But there, <laughs> there is a chance that these players are good, you know. It just I think the thing with Rashford is I, I, along with a lot of people, thought that when Mourinho turned up that he wouldn't be that interested in mm. Rashford. And actually, I think, you know, he's really brought him on as a player. And I hate to admit it, but, you know, Jose Mourinho could be helping out the future of young English players. Yeah. It does that was scary, interesting about um, United against Burton. Okay, it's Burton. But they had a lot of their kind of first team names out, you know, like Lukaku and Mkhitaryan, who've got a really good understanding going on straight away. But yeah, they still score four goals. Yeah, this season, I think they've had goals from eight different players, um, which when you think of the difficulty that they had breaking down teams, like Southampton last year, is, is useful. I think at this stage last year, they only had four players who got on the score sheet. So you can see... There are more threats, more danger uh, from this United side than there were a year ago. Mm. Just to say, I find that golden boy list uh, really <laughs> funny because they, they insist they do 25 names every year. So you've got a contrast between Kylian Mbappe, who was the most sought after player in European football this summer, and then Kyle Walker-Peters, who started one game for Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> <laughs> just, just doesn't seem a fair list, does it? Oh, well, speaking of games that uh, are probably not going to finish goalless, uh, Man City, meanwhile, will be hosting Palace. Uh, Saturday afternoon, the Buffett Bowler, or the Buffet Bowler, do bigger bun, uh, asks, could Palace beat Ipswich's record loss in the Premier League this weekend? <laughs> what, what is Ipswich's record loss? 9-0. 9-0. Is that when Andy Cole scored five? Yeah. He did, yeah. I don't think they will, and I don't think they will for, well, various reasons. One, I think Hodgson's probably got the defence relatively sorted this week in training, but secondly, City have got a Champions League game in midweek, and then uh-huh. they're away at Chelsea next Saturday, so I think it's the kind of game they'll go 3-0 up and then probably ease off in the second half. Mm. Do you know what? I, I I hate to bring emotion into it, but I've still really not got over the Iceland thing. I used to love, I was a real kind of ambassador for Roy Hodgson. Hmm. Well, I, I say that as if... I just, <laughs> unofficial. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually got him the job at England. Uh, no, I, I, I found the way when, when we lost to Iceland and hmm. he did the press conference and he kind of acted like he didn't need to be there. It wound me up so much and I found that so kind of distasteful from a fan's point of view that you've you know you've had that amazing job for four years you've been paid a lot of money and you're now saying I don't even deserve to kind of explain what happened so I don't know I've just got such a chip on my shoulder All right, well, well tune in then when City play Palace this Saturday because it it might well be uh, to your liking um, be very pleasant City won their last six meetings which have all come in the last two seasons scoring 20 goals conceding just the two against Palace so you know hmm uh, City also going through, of course, in the League Cup with two goals against uh, West, West Brom, uh, both from um, Leroy Sané. He hasn't yeah. really got much of a chance this season. I, no. I, I, I find it odd that he's... I thought last season that he was kind of the coming force of Manchester City. Do you think there's a chance he's going to get lost there? 
Well, I think because they've gone too up front with uh, Jesus and, and Aguero and they've spent all that money on fullbacks, um, it means that, um, yeah, there, there are more natural players in those full wing-back positions than, than, for example, Sane. But again, he kind of took his chance and kind of sent a message, if you like, to Pep Guardiola last night with those goals. Beautiful goal. Yeah. West Ham hosting Spurs in uh, not only a London derby, I would say, but a, a not very comfy in our new home derby. <laughs> it's West Ham who uh, have drawn the short straw and have to play in their own ground at this fixture. Although they've actually got a Should good... they just play it on a neutral ground? Well, I'm sure they'd be delighted. Yeah. Leighton Orient? Yeah, that's a, an option. Three clean sheets in a row for the Hammers, it says here, and they won 3-0 over Bolton on Tuesday night. Can the Hammers do a Swansea to Spurs? Well, we saw West Ham actually kind of end Tottenham's title chances last May when they beat them 1-0 at the London Stadium. Um, back then, Lanzini got the only goal of the game. And Lanzini actually only ever really scores against London clubs. He's a, he's a London derby boy. He's not, he's not but he's be, not there. Yeah, he's he's not, not there. there. So it's good news for Spurs there. Mm. As I mentioned, these two teams are going to be facing each other in October in the fourth round of the League Cup. Extraordinary run of matches that Spurs will face indeed. Over 16 days, <laughs> they'll have Real Madrid away, Liverpool at home, then West Ham in the League Cup, then Man United away, and then Real Madrid again. <laughs> That's quite harsh. Spurs have lost three of their last four trips to West Ham in the league. Are they going to lose a fourth out of fifth? Well, I mean, we spoke about Lanzini's record in London Mm. derbies. Kane. Kane is phenomenal. I think he scored, uh, I think, 19 in 28 Premier League London derbies. Really? Which is an absolutely astonishing record, considering those are the biggest games for Spurs, aside from the ones they lose towards the end of the season when they're still going for the title. Right. Okay. Which, of course, one was Chelsea. (laughs) That's the early game then on Saturday. More Premier League games and more games from around the rest of Europe and all sorts of other interesting things we're going to be talking about coming up after this. Always welcome your questions here. You can find us at The Totally Football Show. Here's one from Donald Sean, a.k.a. DJ. says, AC Jimbo, can you get someone to explain the Mark Sampson debacle? I'm guessing the worst. Donald Sean, I would love to have that explained properly. So uh, let in, let, let, let's get someone who knows what they're talking about with this. Carrie Dunn uh, of The Times, author of Roar of the Lionesses, who's covered uh, the Lionesses, the England women's football team, extensively travelled with them to Canada for the recent World Cup there, and who joins us now. It's been a remarkable week from the, the 6-0 victory over Russia and that Great show of support from the players to Mark Sampson. Then two days later, Sampson fired for something that the FA have had a report about for over two years. Yeah, the FA have always said they wanted mainstream media attention for women's football, but I'm not sure this is the kind of the attention they actually wanted. Right. Um, since their whole any Luca allegations have, have, have surfaced, I think that a lot of people were taken aback. But has this always been simmering away there in the background? It's difficult to say kind of specifically. One of the things that I have noticed... Uh, travelling with the team over the past kind of four or five years is since uh, Canada, so in 2015, there is a really, really strong squad dynamic. Um, one of Mark Sampson's kind of little cliches that he likes to wheel out is talk about the team of 23. Um, he was kind of very loath to ever kind of praise individual players. It's always about kind of the collective. And there was a real emphasis on that. And 
the squad selection kind of uh, ended up being that way slightly as well. So players would be picked and kind of be playing in roles that you, perhaps you wouldn't expect them in. So Jill Scott, who's a very, very uh, tall, rangy kind of midfielder, was ended up playing as a false nine sometimes uh, rather than picking a striker, as you might expect. So, yeah, that kind of very intense, kind of very tight squad dynamic has certainly been there. I have to say I was slightly surprised by the Aluko allegations, but um, obviously that's been followed up by you know, Leanne Sanderson and Anita Asante, both also former England internationals, supporting her on that. And then I thought the uh, the goal celebration on Tuesday night when the players all went over to Samson, to the bench, I found that really uncomfortable to watch, actually, both as a fan and as a journalist covering it. Because essentially, and I think Enya Luca made this point, they were taking a side in a, in a massive story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know that uh, the the official Lioness's account kind of tweeted that picture with like the hashtag together. And I just, yeah. And I think particularly as everything, this other allegation then came out yesterday, you know, somebody somewhere must have known about this. It just, yeah, it's just such a mess. It's just awful. The new allegations uh, are in a report that has been sitting with the FA since, well, they, they re- relate to events at when Mark was in charge of uh, Bristol Academy in 2014, uh, and they're very non-specific. But from what you're saying, it was inevitable that he that he go at this point. How easy is it going to be for somebody to pick up this team? They've, they've been on an incredible run of success, and indeed, Samson himself nominated as, as one of the best three coaches in the world by FIFA. In terms of kind of picking up the squad, I mean, it's going to be a few weeks before the next uh, before the next World Cup qualifier. They're going to be starting the domestic season this weekend, so obviously there's going to be a break from England duty, which might be best for everybody. But it depends who kind of comes in and takes over. I think that'd be quite interesting. I would imagine that uh, there'll be someone coming in in a caretaker role for for a little while, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's Marianne Spacey, who was Mark Sampson's assistant at England for a, a long time and moved aside earlier this year. Um, I think that would be quite a sensible kind of caretaker move. Long term, I'm I'm really not sure what the FA are doing or kind of what their processes might be. But then, is that exactly what I was going to say? I think oh, the sorry, FA, Carrie. No, that would be yeah. either. So, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, listen. One other thing, and you, you mentioned that the celebrations uh, the other night. To what extent does this leave um, a serious rift in in the squad? To what extent is there now a real division between kind of Team Sampson and, and, and Team Aluko and everybody else? That's a difficult one. I mean, Aluka obviously feels kind of quite isolated from what she was saying on Twitter. I'm not surprised having seen that. It'll be interesting to see how she kind of uh, then relates back to her Chelsea teammates this season. And of course, women's football is such a kind of small world, really. Everyone ends up kind of seeing each other quite often. You know, everyone finds out what's been happening. So she's going to see the rest of these England players. She's already said that she's happy to, uh, to be selected she's available for England duty so whether she does get called up uh, when a new coach comes in that'll be quite interesting to see what happens then Carrie listen thank you so much uh, for joining us today to uh, shed some light on all of that and look forward to speaking to you again soon okay thank you well we'll have more questions later on Josh oh yes. go on I'll ask you one now how are, okay. you, how are your pilgrims doing not very well, James. Mm. Not very well. Relegation feel, zone, aren't they? Well, yeah, uh, yeah, but it's a very early days. Um, we we went up last year. I I was a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage, <laughs> a rare pilgrimage into League One after years in League mm. Two. We thought 
We've basically, we're coming out of 10 years of distress. We went this in, is Plymouth, by the way. This is Plymouth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. No, no, it's my fault. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Um, we, we, 10 years of kind of financial mismanagement. There was, a, you know, point. we got to the point at one point where Peter Risdale was on our board. That's mm. how bad it got. Peter Reid had to sell his medals to play for the heating bills. We slowly, James Brent's come in, rebuilt the club. We've gone up. I was told there wasn't much of a difference in level between League One and League Two. Is that not right? Turns out there is a difference, and it's quite big. And we're uh, we're second from bottom. Mm. I, we've we've been unlucky. We've had three red cards in three consecutive home games, which hasn't helped. Things. Is that is that definitely unlucky? That is very unlucky. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of how luck works, but it, if you keep scything into players and get sent off, that is a run of bad luck. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that's very oh, unfortunate. No, no, very but I, th- I think we'll be fine. I think. Okay. Well, you'll you'll be delighted to know, Josh. You can keep track of your club. Oh yes, please. And and indeed, all the sides in the football league through the new and very exciting Totally Football League show, oh, which great. is out now as as of Tuesday and every Tuesday. James, hmm. uh, current edition has Alex McLeish in the studio, but he doesn't play the guitar that he's wielding in the publicity photo. Disappointingly. Uh, Speaking of things, you know, in a promotional sense, Totally Football Live, Josh. Oh yeah. Yeah, it sees us hitting the road. Uh, on the 8th of November, we're going to be at the Glee Club in Birmingham. Oh. Tickets are going, and this is, I'm genuinely meaning this, they're going fast. So get yourself to glee.co.uk for, for you know, see if there's any left on that. More on our Facebook page. Have you ever played the Glee Club it's in lovely, Birmingham? The have Glee you been Club there? in Birmingham, yeah. I've, I did, uh, I've done tour shows at the Glee Club, and you will have a lovely time. Very. How many of you are going? Oh, I'm not sure. Because oh, there's five of us, five. That's going to be a very tight little stage. You're going to be very. Is it very small? Yeah, well, yeah. It's uh, it's about the the size of this table that we're sat around. Right. So. Um, oh, uh, you asking how many people are going to be on stage? Yeah. I thought you meant the audience. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, that's, yeah, a five. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's going to be worth watching. You, okay. You five well, all cozying up. Cozying up. Football. Lovely. Um, is it five, really? That's a lot. Oh, including you, producer Ben. Including producer Ben. Oh well, he can sit in the audience. Yeah. What? Um, do you remember, was there a particular joke you told at the Glee Club that they absolutely fell about for? Well, I had I mean, more than one of them worked. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a long hour and a half, but that one joke really hit them. I, they, 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 love, they love a bit of local. If you can right. get anything in about the ball ring or spaghetti junction. What did you do about the spaghetti junction? I'm not giving you my stuff. Come on, Josh. <laughs> well, just one. <laughs> Do you know the stand-up involves a kind of awkward situation, you know, a created situation where there's 300 people listening to you. Yeah, Have it, having two football journalists and the king of Italian football staring at you in a well-lit studio really does make you forget your spaghetti junction joke. Right, okay, wow, <laughs> a likely story, Josh. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, listen, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk more about all of that later on. Well, the spaghetti junction joke. See if this improves your memory, Josh. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, no, we'll we'll talk more about all that kind of thing later on because right now we've got to get back to the Premier League. We left it with all sorts of stuff still to be discussed. Craigie H says, who do you think is going to finish seventh this year? Best of the rest. Michael Cox, who do you think? I think it might be Leicester City. Ooh. Um, who People seem to have forgotten about the fact that they won the league about... 15, 16 months ago, but they're still quite a good side. They had a wobble last year, but I think since uh, Craig Shakespeare took over, he's um, made the side more solid again. Um, And I thought their win over Liverpool in midweek was very interesting because they started off not playing particularly well, and then it all changed when they brought on Shinji Okazaki, who 
just has certain qualities that make him perfect for that Leicester side. Um, he helps protect the midfield. People talk as him uh, talk about Leicester as if they play four four two. But when he's he's playing, he's more of an extra midfielder. Really, Vardy can play up front, and he helps protect those two in midfield. He's a curious player. I mean, the goals he scores all seem to be really scrappy, rubbish goals. Um, but he, he seems to fall over at the scoring <laughs> one. <laughs> the, the ball never seems to quite hit the net, does it? It always kind of trickles over. Um, but he does his job really well. And I think against a very um, you know compact, high-pressing Liverpool side this weekend, he'll be very useful. All right. This similar thing to, of course, when they faced each other midweek, as, as you mentioned, when um, they went, Liverpool went 2-0 down on a couple of set pieces and Jurgen Klopp afterwards saying he felt really, really sick. Everyone can imagine we know how to defend, but obviously we don't do it because always somebody else is doing it. It doesn't feel too cool, but it's the truth, said Jurgen. Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel too cool. No, but somebody making the point this week, if he wasn't Jurgen Klopp, would he get a lot more, you know, given that his record is essentially worse than Brendan Rodgers, is it just is he just kind of an, wow. an outsized personality away from being in trouble? People seem to be saying that and forgetting that Brendan Rodgers nearly won the league in his second season. Yeah. So it's not like you're comparing him to a complete, a complete failure. Rodgers had, at that point, one of the best records in right. the Premier League. And he had Luis Suarez. Yeah, and he, had to, and he was going backwards when they got rid of him, which is, isn't quite the case yet with Klopp, is it? No, certainly not. No, and, and Klopp took them over when they were a bit of a shambles and he's, he's largely done a very good job with them. It will all change for Klopp if Netflix or Amazon get to reboot being Liverpool and we can go <laughs> into his, his house and there is a portrait of himself there. I think that's when... Or that's... he visits the stationery cupboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. I, th- I think you, Sadio Mane is the most important player for any team in the Premier League in the same way that Kante was for Chelsea. Hmm. Last January was when Liverpool had that complete wobble and that was when he was at the African Cup of Nations. The same's happened again. Yeah, I actually think point. he's far more important to them than Coutinho. Coutinho. Coutinho, yes. Mm. <laughs> Is it Dirk Cout and Coutinho? The love yeah. child, Coutinho. He's great, Coutinho, yeah. <laughs> Dirk Coutinho. But, they, but, but Josh, they brought in uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain to, to cover that role. Did you see how impressive his debut was? <laughs> no, I didn't. It, go on YouTube and look for Oxlade-Chamberlain. There's a, a quite corny. merciless... <laughs> the merciless compilation with commentary oh. of, uh, of his, 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 his... I think his, it was his first start for Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah? Uh, not sure when the second will be at that rate. Uh, Kofife Mitchell says, as a Liverpool fan, is it acceptable? I've given up any hope of winning anything and I'm concentrating on uh, being victorious in fantasy football. It is four games without... It's a rotten run. As you say, Mane being out of the picture is in no way helping. But it's early days, isn't it? This is a squad with potential Yeah, stuff. I think so. I, I... Potential to get worse. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess. They might finish seventh. It's quite possible. Should we move on then to Neighbours Everton? Yes. Who, who got themselves a win and scored goals and things midweek after a really rotten uh, run of results. Uh, they are taking on Bournemouth on Saturday. Uh, is it too neat and easy to think that Calvert-Lewin, who everyone had been calling for his inclusion in, in the side, that he makes the difference to a side that's sort of bereft of dynamism and pace and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure how good Calvert-Lewin is, really. He might be a good player. He might be uh, another Danny Cadamastri, to use one of Josh's comparisons. But the, the point is they need <laughs> they need pace in that side, and he's one of the ones who can provide it, along with Lookman, who plays in a different position, plays out wide. Um, I think this game is quite interesting against Bournemouth because this is um, two sides in the bottom three, who you mm. wouldn't expect to be in the bottom three. I think Bournemouth are a kind of similar side. Um, I went down to see them at Brighton or against Brighton last weekend 
and they played with tremendous control in midfield, um, but they lacked a spark in the final third until they brought on Jordan Ibe, who then went on to get his, his first two assists in a Bournemouth shirt. And I think it's a similar kind of situation. Ibe has not done particularly well since he went to Bournemouth, but he provides that pace. He's trying things in the final third and he's the kind of player that they need. So I think this could be quite an interesting game. Okay. Lots of nice play in midfield, but not much end product. Yeah. And I'm also not sure with Bournemouth about the relationship between uh, King and Defoe. Both really good players. I really like watching Defoe. His movement's fantastic. Uh, You listen to the Bournemouth players talking. They're just kind of amazed by his professionalism. He's you know, almost this uh, leader, which you don't really uh, think of as Defoe being in that role. But I wonder if King, who was absolutely sensational after Christmas last year, mm. is a little bit peeved that Bournemouth have brought in a 34-year-old who's probably past his best and are now really kind of trying to build the side around him. I'd be inclined to say that maybe they should just, um, you know, go for King as their main man and maybe have Defoe on the bench. He did score in midweek. King. They both scored against Brighton, but not in the same match yeah. this week. Yeah, I'm really disappointed that Bournemouth fans haven't taken up the Jordan Ibe kind of song, which you could do to "Girl, You've Got That Vibe." You could Ibe, Ibe, Ibe. Expect to hear Bournemouth that ring. have got that vibe, yeah. you know. Yep, that's what you need. So uh, anyway, Everton, Bournemouth, and it could be an in- intriguing. Let's call that one intriguing. Also. On your Premier League dance card this weekend, you got Burnley against Huddersfield. Do you know both of these teams with favourable wins could go third this weekend? Third, Burnley and Huddersfield. I think it's great that it's Burnley v Huddersfield in the top division. The last time Burnley played Huddersfield, do you know in the top division? Do you know when that was? Oh, only because I read it yesterday. <laughs> when was it, Michael? Was it 1971? Correct. Thank you. Ooh. March 1971. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. But do you know the day? That's the really tricky one. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> Luckily, I, I don't... Saturday, 3pm back in those days, all the time. Uh, it's the first foray into Monday night football, actually. <laughs> so, um, there you go. Burnley got knocked out by Leeds. What a game was, Cup. Yeah. Was it a great game? I didn't well, see it. Yeah, I mean, Leeds thought they'd won it in the 89th minute because they went 1-0 up. Um, uh, and then Chris Wood, their former player scores a penalty against them, but then Leeds go and score again, deep in stoppage time, and then what a clutch free kick this was. Robbie Brady takes it to extra time in, what, the 96th minute? Um, made it 2-2, and then obviously Leeds prevailed on penalties. But, mm. um, yeah, if you'd left, if you were a Burnley fan and you'd left at 1-0 on the 89th minute, I don't think, you know, you, you missed out on something, even though your team still went out. Wow. Huddersfield, by the way, do you know, only... Manchester United and Manchester City have conceded fewer goals this season than Huddersfield, who admittedly had have, a, have had a slightly favourable fixture list. Uh, that's going to be a fascinating game then, uh, as potentially is Stoke against Chelsea? Question mark. Utterly fascinating. No, that that, that would be, I think that would be a. Uh, well, Stoke are the great entertainers, of course, this season. Of course, they based are. on that one. Ram, you know, swashbuckling two-two draw they had with yeah. with Man United that I, I happened to be watching and got quite excited about. Um, no, David Luiz, of course, because he got a red card and, as it turns out, he was playing with a broken wrist. That's quite impressive. Did you know that? I didn't he see broke that. his wrist in the game with Arsenal. Nobody knew about it at the time because he just sucked it up. He's like the new Troutman. Yeah. <laughs> no Zuma, of course, for Stoke because uh, Chelsea are his parent club. Um, 
Yeah, and Batshuayi will be back in the box, I presume, after his hat-trick mid- midweek. Anyway, that's Stoke-Chelsea. Uh, should we move straight past that? I mean, the potential to be very exciting, unless there's something you wanted to throw no, in there. I think that'll be... A, uh, I, think, I think Chelsea, are, that'll be a safer way to win that. I, I don't... Yeah? I, I actually think, you know, after that first game of the season, which was obviously uh, an anomaly, I think Chelsea have been very good. I think... Mm. I actually... I, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about them for the title. I know well, the we don't think uh, we did on, on on Monday actually. I listened, and I'm sure I didn't hear all this stuff pretty, that pretty I've recapped. Sure we were in there. Um, it's the B side. Okay. <laughs> what do we say about Arsenal on Monday then, Josh? I can tell you what you said about Arsenal. It's a pretty on easy guess, isn't it? Yeah, you, you said. Well, no, you you said they won a game quite easily, and then you talked about. You but they talked, drew nil nil. Arsenal. They drew at Chelsea. Oh, they did? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I heard you talk about the Cologne game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So, fair yes. enough. So, should we call that a 1-1 draw? Yeah. No, you won that. You won that. Arsenal, no, Arsenal, anyway, this time, Josh, are playing West Brom. And it's a very rested Arsenal side because they made a whopping 11 changes for their midweek Carabao Cup game. Arsenal got, Josh, you probably know this, they've got an amazingly good record against West Brom. I, I didn't I didn't know that. How good? Um, how Since 2002, that? so in the last 15 years, yeah. West Brom, in this fixture away to Arsenal, have only yeah. taken points twice in, since 2002, and that was because of Manuel Almunia. Yeah. West Brom did beat Arsenal the last time they played, which was back in March at the Hawthorns. 3-1, wasn't it? 3-1 when Arsenal really struggled from set pieces, as you expect, against a Tony Pulis mm. side. And, um, yeah, I mean, that will be a, a very... Familiar battle, Arsenal with the possession and West Brom with the counter-attacks. And Although, a slightly different look to Arsenal these days with Ozil out of the picture. Possibly he will be taking his place. No Welbeck this time because he's got a groin issue. Not not an issue from the groin. No, a groin problem. Groin issue is something else. Uh, he's going to be out till mid-October, hmm. they say. Did you see what Garth Crooks said about Kolasinac? No. <laughs> He's built like one of those North London brick toilets that withstood bombing raids during the Second World War. I mean, are they still standing? <laughs> I was actually... Uh, Do you know what he's what? talking about? <laughs> I actually had the pleasure to be sitting next to Garth Crooks at uh, Chelsea-Arsenal last weekend. Right. And it was very amusing because from about the fifth minute, he was not happy with the performance of Willian mm. and proceeded really? to just commentate on Willian's apparent lack of interest in the game. <laughs> to you specifically or anybody who was listening? I, anyone who was listening. Mm. But the phrase he kept using, which I found really funny, I think he meant to say lightweight all the time, but he kept on saying paperweight, paperweight, <laughs> which, which is something designed to be heavy, so it doesn't yeah. really work. That would work with Kolasinac, which would be paperweight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would... <laughs> exactly. That's so interesting, paperweight, which, yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like it should be a very lightweight boxing category, but it's not, <laughs> is it? Okay. All right, well, listen, we're all tired. Uh, let's finish this Premier League roundup on a nice note. Uh, Sunday, Brighton take on a Newcastle team that's won three in a row, and they didn't have any midweek cup action as well. While Brighton did, and they lost for the second time in a week against Bournemouth, which kind of means they they can't be very good. I know you saw them last Friday. What do you think, Michael? Of Brighton? Uh, yes. It's a boring thing to say, but they're a classic Chris Hutton team. They're very deep. They're very defensive. I don't think he gives the attacking players much. Freedom. I wasn't impressed with Davy Proper, who I think was one of their big hopes, uh, you know, one of their big signings. I think Brighton are going to struggle, which is a shame because they've been on the verge of getting here for so long. I think it's a great story about the new stadium, but mm. I'm just not sure their team's in 
in the right shape. But what I would say is maybe they can look to Burnley a couple of years ago who didn't go OTT on buying players. They didn't panic. They didn't sack their manager. They kind of used that experience. And then, you know, when they've come back the second time, they're in better shape. So it's a slightly boring thing to say, but, you know, maybe two or three years and Brighton will be an established... There you go, Seagulls fans. That's something to look forward to because Chris Hewton will be uh, looking forward to this fixture, especially after his uh, misadventures at Newcastle. Uh, the other game uh, which is taking place Saturday at 3 o'clock is Swansea against Watford. Swansea, who had no shots on target in three of their five Premier League games against the Watford team who faced very many shots on target, of course, last weekend, are getting done 6-0, was it, by Man City? Yep. Yeah. All right, excellent. Well, we've got loads more to talk about today, including some drama in Italy and um, some melodrama, really, in the French capital. And we'll be doing all of that after this. Listeners to Footballing Podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again, just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Let's look at some questions, shall we? Producer Ben's got a question. Says producer Ben, I know that James Horncastle is a twin, yeah, or true. part of a twinage. Uh-huh. Um, Josh Whittacombe, are you also a twin? No. Good question, though. Have you, have you got a problem? going to be a moment when you reunite me with my twin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think producer Ben may have been confusing himself. Let's move on, then. Right, oh, other questions then. Justin Zara says, what about that totally alien pod that AC Jimbo mentioned? We were talking about UFOs. He said, will it be about David Silva too? Because you know, he's out, out of this world. Shane McMenemy uh, asking, given that I panned the new Kingsman film, did I like the first one? It's better than this one, uh, Shane, and can I urge you to think twice before going anywhere? It's not so bad it's good or anything like that. It's just, you know, don't, encourage them to film again uh now uh it's been uh an exciting midweek of action on and off the pitch because in paris it's it, it's reached a really dramatic level between uh edinson cavani and and um his new friend neymar uh you probably saw this josh i don't know the game against astonishing. The, against leon last weekend when first of all cavani went to take a free kick danny alves basically hid the ball from him and passed it around his back to Neymar, who took the free kick instead. <laughs> Cavani not best pleased. Then later on, when Neymar tried to take a penalty, Cavani wouldn't let him. And it was quite alpha male between them, and Neymar backed right off. Uh, anyway, um, he then instead apparently unfollowed Cavani on Instagram, because <laughs> it's not the first time that Cavani has basically not let him take a penalty. And it, it, again, allegedly, he went further by telling PSG's uh, directors, uh, Cavani must go. Uh, This town, quite literally, is not big enough for the both of us. Unai Emery said he would let the players sort it out themselves, which apparently then uh, resulted in them being restrained from fighting in the changing room. What on earth's going on? Will Cavani go? Where will he go? Is there any way Emery can keep this all together? Let's get a word or two from the big daddy, Julien Laurent. Julien... First of all, felicitations. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Have we got a name yet? 
Not yet, no, not yet. Kiliana, maybe, I was thinking. For, yeah. It's quite trendy. Right, quite is trendy it, it's, it's a girl, is it? Yes, it is a girl. All right, did you know if that... If you read your text properly... <laughs> Six babies born in England and Wales last year were named Busby. Five were named Paisley. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, over I mean, the last 20 years, this is from Simon Burnden tweeting this out. I have no idea why, but anyway. Uh, over the last 20 years, in England and Wales, there have been seven Ronaldinhos, 23 Rivaldos, 36 Messis, 68 Pelés, 89 Zicos, and 236 Ronaldos. Really? Yep. I like that. That's the one. Yeah, Kiliana. Kiliana would be good. That's a great name. Great name. And it's, 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 uh, it's a nice neutral name in the current... Crosstown, bitter crosstown rivalry that has enraged Paris, Julien. Indeed. Can you give us the latest then on what's going to happen? First of all, are all the stories true, do you think, about Neymar telling the club Cavani must go? No, we were told that that was not true. Who told you that? Someone at the club. Okay, but they would say that, wouldn't they, Jules? (laughs) They probably would say that, although they would also say that, you know, this is not a one-man club. This is not Neymar's club, although it's probably Neymar's team, in fairness. But Edinson Cavani, you know, is very much loved by a lot of very important people at PSG. And it's not because, you know, if Neymar or anyone else would say, mm, you know, I don't fancy playing with him anymore. Can we sell him? That just wouldn't work. So You think? It, but when you were watching it, Jules, and when you've seen all the developments, beyond what the club are, are putting out, don't you feel there's no way that that can continue as a relationship? Or you think that they can actually be brought back together? Yeah, so, I mean, they, it seems that Edison Cavani has agreed to share uh, penalty responsibilities with Neymar, which means that they, they will alternate or it will be a bit more chill than I'm the number one and you the number two kind of thing. Um, they had two days off after this, this, the, the game on Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, they didn't see each other. They saw each other yesterday for the first time. And apparently had a little chat. It seems that, you know, things were, were good again. And, and last night there was a big dinner organized by, um, by Danny Alves in, in a restaurant near the Champs-Élysées, at the top of the Champs-Élysées, near the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, the Victoria, where everybody was there, including Neymar, including Edinson Cavani, every single player of the squad was there. And, uh, and it seemed that they, they saw friends again. I think the, the fact that Cavani has, has agreed to, um, to share those responsibilities and, and you know, didn't stay on his like, no, no, I'm the one who's going to take penalty. I think it's helped a lot. And I think Neymar was a bit frustrated um, on, the, on Sunday night. So it's not the first time, you know, against Saint-Etienne, he tried to do it. He went to see Cavani before the penalty saying, oh, would you mind letting me take it? And I remember watching, seeing it and thinking like, I hope they sort this out because otherwise they could, this could, you know, go on and on, and and and, and this could be a, a bigger issue later. So, so clearly they didn't sort it out after the Santetian game. And on Sunday, I think maybe Neymar was still in the in the Barcelona where where Messi at times used to let him take some penalties, and maybe he thought, well, Cavani, who's sort of scored before, uh, will let me take this one again. But it was not the case. But it looks like, from what we've been told, from what we're seeing, and from what we know, that they're friends again. When Cavani sat down for dinner last night, did Danny Alves take his food away and give it to Neymar? <laughs> and, and he hid it in his back, and, and Neymar just walked past behind and, and took the, the burger and the chip. Julien Laurent. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about pigeon. I do wonder if the next dish that uh, Neymar will be eating at that restaurant at the top of the Champs-Élysées will be a cold one called 
revenge. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a sustainable relationship no. to me. I don't. I don't. It seems like Neymar can't deal with playing with other people that are all so good. Mm. I mean, can't you just move to League Two or something and then be happy that he's the best player in his team? That's a great shout. That's a great shout. <laughs> um, right. Well, this weekend in France, Montpellier taking on Paris Saint-Germain, while Monaco would be at Lille. I have to say, at Neymar's old club, uh, they are missing him and how. Uh, a 6-1 win for the midweek against Ibar in the Liga. Messi getting four goals. He's now got 43 in 40 appearances in all competitions in 2017. Wow. Yeah, he scored 300 at the Camp Nou, just at the Camp Nou now. Really? Yeah. Anyway, they're now seven points clear of Real Madrid or Barcelona, as Charlie Harris was saying, and to think it was Barca who were in crisis before the start of the season. Real Madrid, of course, getting beaten 1-0 at home by Betis. They haven't won any of their first three at home. This is also the end of that incredible run of scoring in every single game, isn't it? But it was also the end of Ronaldo's suspension, and he had, what, 12, 12 shots without scoring. Wow. So Gareth Bale yeah. went very close <laughs> to uh, pulling off a remarkable backheel goal in this game but uh, there you go yeah 2016 April 2016 was the last time that Real Madrid blanked in a game do you know who the goalkeeper was on that occasion April 2016 Joe Hart you do know (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, more about uh, European football because they were doing midweek round the uh, the famous English Avoc in the Bundesliga where Bayern you remember we were talking about Bayern the other day and they they lost to Hoffenheim well they've really bounced back after that Josh they've uh, They've uh, scored 10 goals without reply in their last three games, the latest three coming at Schalke on, uh, I think this was Tuesday night. Uh, there was good news and bad news here. The good news was uh, James Rodriguez making his first start and absolutely looking on fire. You probably saw, did you see his amazing dribble and then uh, and then assist? He set up one goal and it's really worth seeking out. He scored another and he also uh, procured the penalty, as they were saying, in, in, in Italy that, that led to the third. The bad news, though, for um, Bayern is the fact that Manuel Neuer picked up an injury and won't be back until 2018, they say. Dreaded metatarsal. Mm. Uh, Bayern climb up a little bit in the table. Uh, Top are still Dortmund, who also had a 3-0 win. This was against Hamburg. Dortmund are the only side in Europe's top five leagues who are yet to concede a league goal. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Excellent. Mm. Yeah, can't argue with that. If they play Crystal Palace, it's going to be a uh, mm. a really record-breaking score. Yeah. Well, it might be. With the Can you imagine Aubameyang having a go at, at Palace? <laughs> um, other news? 2019 UEFA final venues have been announced. Mm. You excited well, by this? I would love to go to the uh, Wanda Metropolitano. Well, there you go. Yeah. And... and uh, Where's the other one? The other—that's the thing. Europa League's at, at the Baku National Stadium. Ah. Oh, so it's Baku Azerbaijan. Beyond, as I like to call it, in, in Azerbaijan. And Azerbaijan won two then. Baku the double. The, yeah. Oh, why? Because Azerbaijan—well, they, they effectively sponsor Atletico shirts, don't they? Do they? Land of Fire. Oh, Land of Fire, of yeah. course. Baku the future. Baku the future. Right. Doesn't but anyway, that's not to 2019, <laughs> by which time anything could have happened, Josh. Oh, the world could be over by then. Yeah. So let, let's not get too worried about yeah. it. Rocket Man. Yeah. Uh, also in action this midweek, boom, Italy. A little bit of music so you can all run away or stay, but it's Italy <laughs> after this. Midweek in Italy, Napoli. They were 1 0 down away to Lazio. They won 4 1. How 
how good a Napoli, James? <laughs> Very good. I mean, the newspapers this morning, there was an editorial in one of the Rome dailies, which was, um, I prefer Sarri's team to Saki's team. And they're playing wow. that well. Um, Saki's and... team, just to put that in perspective, have been the benchmark since kind of the early 90s. Yeah, exactly. Saki's the Milan. The Saki Milan, yeah. And, uh, that revolutionised yeah. the game there, really. So are they saying that Sarri is proponing, or no, proponing, is, is basically ushering in a new tactical era. Yeah, they are indeed. And, uh, yeah, it's we talked about PSG earlier with um, Mbappe, Neymar and Cavani, everyone going on about that uh, front three and the goals that they're scoring. But Napoli are averaging four goals a game so far this season, yeah. which is more than any other team in Europe. Why didn't they average four goals a game when they went to Shakhtar Donetsk then last week? In the ah, this is actually a very interesting question, James, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you've asked me that because... Uh, I think it's clear that Napoli believe it's going to be their year, their year for the first time since 1990, and they are prioritising the league over the Champions League. Which is why they rested Dries Mertens, the goal machine, yes. in the trip to Ukraine. Yeah, exactly, even though they only had Benevento coming up at the weekend, who they promptly thrashed 6 mm. All right, they've won 10 straight games in Serie A. Yeah, 10 straight. Um, they're unbeaten in 17, going back to uh, last year. And, uh, yeah, this is the first time that they've won the first five games um, of the season since uh, Napoli were champions right. back in 1987. Very so. impressive. Well, a 4-1 win at Lazio. To put that in perspective, Lazio's last game, a previous game at home, uh, was them beating Milan 4-1. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a, a proper side in that. Uh, Napoli continue on... on maximum points at the top of the table. Juventus, the only team keeping pace on them. You saw that their clash, a massive fixture, this, of course, against Fiorentina. Yeah, for such a big rivalry, it was a surprisingly flat, low-key contest, really, decided by quite an interesting goal, I thought. It was a cross from Quadrado um, that was kind of missed by Higuain at the near post and then converted by Mandzukic at the far post. That's the value of playing a, a second striker on the left wing. I thought the interesting thing here was actually a VAR incident in the second oh. half. Um, when Blaise Matuidi went down the left, got into the box. Um, and there was a very strange challenge from Milan Bedell where he tried to foul Matuidi outside the box and then swiped at him with his second leg as he went into the box. The referee gave a penalty straight away and didn't book Bedell. Then he went over to look at the screen, watched the incident again, realised contact had been outside the box but not inside the box. So he reversed his decision from a penalty to a free kick, but then also decided the foul was so bad that uh, Bedell was going to get a second yellow card. So he got sent off. So there was almost two decisions reversed, if you like. Penalty to no penalty. No red card to red card. How long did all that take? It was surprisingly quick, actually. And I must say that as someone who's quite sceptical about VAR. um, Yeah, he went over, watched the screen, and within... I didn't have a stopwatch, but 40, 45 seconds. You know, it's a big decision, or two big decisions, that. um, And it worked very nicely. Mm. How did it go down with the player sent off? Uh, Well... He seemed to accept his fate, actually. Yeah. But the most yeah. the most amusing thing was that uh, the commentator on BT was uh, Jonathan Pierce, who had so struggled with uh, <laughs> yes. goal line technology yes. at the World Cup, and he was unfortunately similarly confused oh, by no. this incident <laughs> um, and couldn't quite get his head around it, despite the referee making, uh, you know, in typically Italian fashion, very obvious hand gestures about what was happening. So right. um, Pierce didn't bring know where the, the stereotypes on. The stereotypes on. The other curiosity about that game is the fact that. Deb- didn't score in it. We mentioned a stat on Monday that he at that point had actually scored more than the bottom five clubs put <laughs> together in Serie A. That's extraordinary. Um, anyway, Juve 
maintaining their uh, perfect start to the season. Inter dropping points, surprisingly, at Bologna. I think they'd only conceded one goal so far this season, was that right? Yeah, it was a big missed opportunity for them because I think they were anticipating there could be collateral damage with Juventus playing Fiorentina and Napoli playing Lazio. And uh, instead, um, yeah, they showcased, I think, some of their limits and that they're still... um, not incomplete, but certainly less complete than they think they were. All right. That well, they're only sense. two points off the top. But the interesting thing was that the player who scored is another of these uh, of this incredible generation of players coming out of uh, Milan's academy, Simone Verdi in this case. If you're talking about young players, though, and Sasha Gurionov was, was mentioning this on, on Monday, there's one name <laughs> that everybody's really getting excited about. Yeah, that would be uh, Pietro Pellegri, who... Uh, Scored a brace at the weekend and uh, became the youngest player to do so uh, ever. In... How old is he? He's only 16, Jimbo. Mm. He broke the record held by Silvio Piola back in the, the late 30s. And uh, it's quite a romantic story because... He, he debuted last season though, didn't he? he Was did. he 15 at the time? He made his debut um, just before Christmas and he matched the record as the youngest ever debutante, which was held by Amadeo Amade and was set for Roma back in the early 30s. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's quite precocious in the, in this sense. And remember, we, I think, did the um, Totti's final game uh, for BT and uh, Pellegrini almost kind of ruined his goodbye party because he scored um, and, again, kind of etched his name in history then because he was the third youngest goal scorer that he has ever seen. So... Um, yeah, it's a nice story, this, because he is uh, a Genoa-born Genoa fan. And, um, yeah, his father uh, was team manager for the under-19s, um, which makes, yeah, he looks after everything for them. He got promoted to the first team um, with his son. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was in tears at the weekend as, his, uh, as he saw his son score in front of the stand that they used to have season tickets in. Wow. Yeah. Bittersweet though, because two goals for Pellegri, but Lazio won three two. Yeah, he uh, he kept getting them back into the game, but ultimately it wasn't enough. Is this one of Josh's lucky youngsters who goes on a a, a brief run and then is heard of no more, or is Pellegri the real deal? Is it? I think it's too early to tell, but I think he is precocious enough in that he keeps he keeps making um, steps forward every game he plays, really. Um, and all of the top clubs in Italy want him. Uh, there was also talk that Manchester United, back in 2015, actually uh, paid for him and his father um, to come and watch Manchester United play Chelsea at Old Trafford, um, and they decided against it because they was thought... Was it that game when Mourinho parked the bus? <laughs> the nil-nil. <laughs> the nil-nil. Um, they decided against it, in part because Genoa have, have brought through a lot of good players over the years, El Shawari. Sturaro, Perin, Mandragara, yeah, Crescito, the list goes on. So he, th- he thought it was the best place for him. Mm, yeah. Very nice. Excellent. Fascinating. Well, games this weekend in Syria include a Napoli uh, doing their Sari football uh, away in Sp- at Spal mm-hmm. and also the Turin Derby. Turin Derby, <laughs> yeah. And Torino looking pretty safe this year. So uh, that, that, that could be quite, quite a match. When's the Turin Derby? Saturday. Right. Saturday night. Because, of course, Champions League next week. Yeah. So. Right, excellent. Well, that, that kind of brings us to the end of this Totally Football show. Josh. It's been a pleasure. Spaghetti Junction joke? Oh, come on. <laughs> what? You could... <sighs> Bullring joke? What you want to do for your joke here, yeah. James. Here you go. So you talk about the uh, M6 toll road. Yeah? Yep. Good start. How do those guys get in the toll booths? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Are they too tall or something? Yeah, where do they park? Exactly, where do they park? How do they get in there? I've never seen one crossing it. Just a lovely little observation, James. I've been trying to think of something about Birmingham traffic for the last 30 minutes. That's all I've got. (laughs) All right. Anyway, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Hopefully you'll have something else to promote soon and you'll join us again. Yeah, I'll be promoting you on my podcast. Oh, yeah, great. Well, uh, we'll sort out a date. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I already have. Okay, good. Fantastic. Um, And, uh, well, nice to see you anyway. Uh, James Horncastle. Thank you. Excellent. Anytime you want to invite me on to one of your podcasts, you're very welcome. And and, and Michael Cox. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, listener. We, of course, will be returning on Monday. uh, So do join us then. Have a great weekend in the meantime. This has been the Totally Football Show. Totally Football Show.